probably two months ago or so, Peter had me read, um, just like what James just did. Uh, he had me read a, uh, a few verses, um, but he said the bulk of his um, the bulk of his scripture that he was going to be going through was one part of one verse. Um, and when we were there um, in the back, uh, when we were praying and talking about it, we joked about using Jesus wept as the soul reading, um, and and that that would someone just come up, read Jesus wept, and then and then say the word of the Lord and, and go down. Um, so we and then KT and I had joked about that, I think a few weeks later. Um, but when I was reading through John, uh, I didn't know that uh, this would be coming up. And, and when, he, um, um, when, he, when he asked me, then I prayed about it. And something that has been really, um, uh, that God has really shown me from, from John is, is, uh, related to that, and I didn't really put two and two together um, until I was driving um, and really trying to figure it out. Um, so I could have had Jesus wept as the sole scripture, but I think there's further context that's important. But I would say, if there is anything that I want you to remember, it is that Jesus wept. And very simply, John 11:35. It's, a, it's the shortest verse in the Bible, so a lot of times people, if they're memorizing Scripture, I can memorize this one. Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five. 35. Um, Jesus wept, so, uh, played a part. So my, my grandpa was dying a few years ago. My, my mom and dad and sister, um, they had gone to go see him. It was just the beginning of covid uh, 19, the lockdown, lockdowns, it wasn't related to it, but, um, so we had a text chain going with them and a few of my other sisters, and as it was becoming clear that he was very close to dying, or, and then once he had died, uh, we were sharing a lot of scripture together, but someone had written, Jesus wept, um, after he had died, and I think that just said, a lot, and I think that has always been an important uh, verse, just thinking of Jesus, God of the universe, <clears throat> weeping for Lazarus, is, is very um, comforting, I think, in, in times of mourning. Uh, but, so, so really, the title, the, the scripture, is all Jesus wept. Uh, there's an unadvisable risk that the, um, the apostles were, um, were sharing with him not to go back to Judea um, in what we had just read. Uh, something else, so we've been, we've been studying John recently um, as a family and through BSF, um, but something I had never really thought that much about was the term the Jews. Um, when it's used in John, it oftentimes or usually means um, not just J 
Jewish people in general, but the Jewish leaders. And that has been pretty illuminating as, as when you're reading through, um, because it doesn't really make sense to just think of Jewish people in general, because most of the time, everyone involved is Jewish. So it, uh, the term is a difficult word to translate. Um, and it's, it's been helpful in, in studying, um, just really thinking through what that means, um, especially in the context of this. So obviously that's a semantically overloaded term. Uh, people have used it for anti-Semitism, the Jews, um, just the term of that. Uh, and I'm not really gonna talk through anything related to that. I, I would just strongly say if you have hatred toward others, especially if there's some sort of biblical basis that you're going to use or stretch. Uh, I don't think you're reading the Bible fully. I don't think you fully understand. So I, th I think it's important um, to really take everything in, in full context when we're, um, when we're looking at uh, the words being used. Uh, so that there's an unadvisable risk and the calamity potential that they were warning him, the apostles were warning him. Uh, but we can go back to John 7, where it really starts uh, becoming clear that the Jews, the Jewish leaders, so I'll probably kind of go back and forth, but the Jewish leaders uh, started to plot against him. Um, and in John 7, 1, Jesus walked in Galilee because he wouldn't walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. So essentially, it was already clear that he had to be planning and organizing his, his routes um, as a result of them plotting. Then in John 8, uh, 57 through 59, Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. They took up, they took, then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. And then again, later in John 10, 29 through 33 and 37 through 39, My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up the stones, again the Jewish leaders, then the Jews took up the stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I shewed you from my father, for which these works do you stone me? The, the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Uh, then I'll skip down to 37 and 39. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand. And then, and then in what we just read right before, um, what we just read in John 11, 6 through 10, uh, when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, so Lazarus, when he was sick, 
he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that saith he to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he, humble, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. So obviously, the Jewish leaders were really out to get him. They had already attempted twice, pretty much, and, and he uh, evaded them. Um, so this was a very deliberate act that he did to go back to Judea. And it was pretty much right after leaving. Um, they stayed, and, and he stayed a few extra days, um, to, I think to show, and we'll t- talk about that a little bit more, but to show the, the full breadth of how he can resurrect someone that's four days dead. So then, a co- commonality uh, that we all have is mourning. Um, and it might be uniquely human. I, I'm not 100% sure, but it seems like God the Father probably isn't weeping or crying. But mourning, the concept of mourning or crying is something that I think it is very uniquely human. You don't see animals doing that um, other than, you know, tear ducts or something something specific, but nothing, nothing related to emotions, and particularly mourning. Um, so, so I think there's something very uh, striking when we, um, when we see that Jesus did weep in this instance. Um, one of the, in reading through Ezekiel uh, recently too, so Ezekiel 24 16 through 18, I'll read this. Son of man, behold, I'm, I, take, I take away from thee the desire of thine eyes with a stroke. So that's his, his wife. Yet neither shalt thou mourn nor weep, neither shall thy tears run down. Forbear to cry, make no mourning for the dead. Bind the tire of thine eye head upon thee, and put on thy shoes upon thy feet. And cover not thy lips, and eat not the bread of men. So I spake unto the people in the morning, and at even my wife died, and I did in the morning as I was commanded. So when you're reading that, it's sort of shocking and sort of and unnatural, and it should be that God is commanding Ezekiel to not mourn for his wife that just died. And I think that that says something that when we read that, um, that we, I think it is, it's definitely a human trait that we all share, that all of us, when we have someone that we love, especially when they've died, um, it is, it is uniquely human to, to weep or to cry. Um, and then Jesus wept a few other times, so he, he cried in the garden of Gethsemane, in Hebrews 5, 7, it says uh, he was, it was loud crying and tears. Um, and the agony that he was going through is unimaginable. Um, 
but that was, he was 100% human and 100% man at the same time, amazingly. And then Luke, in Luke 19, uh, 38 through 43, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace. But now they are hid from thine eyes, for the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, encompass thee round, and keep thee on every side. So it's quite amazing, I think, that multiple, multiple contexts uh, Jesus is recorded as is actually physically crying and weeping. And I think in our today's society, especially for men, obviously, um, it's considered, I'm never going to cry or a, a sign of weakness or, um, I, I guess for men and women, it can be seen as a sign of weakness. Um, so there, I think there's kind of a spectrum that different people have. My family definitely is on more on the uh, weeping side. <laughs> my uh, my uncle, one time when uh, I was probably a high schooler, he sat me down and he said, "You're you're the only Elkie uh, that's carrying on our our name, and I just wanted you to know he's so he's six six, um, six foot six. My dad is was was six foot eight, so they were very tall people, um, very." Uh, commanding, I guess, from that perspective, just because they're tall. Um, and he said, because you're an Elkie, you're going to be listening to some Fruit of the Loom commercial or something, and you're just going to be tearing up, and you're going to be wondering, why is this? What is, what's wrong with me? And he said, that means you're an Elkie. And, uh, and I think that's a good, good way to think that there's some people that just cry a lot more. Uh, my sisters, my mom. Um, and some people don't cry that much. So it's not necessarily um, in an innately um, that we need to be crying a bunch. But I do think it's a very, it's, it's very comforting that Jesus did that um, and that it's recorded like that. So um, I'm going to go through right here just real quickly. Well, uh, here's a couple. So in the, in, in the Psalms, uh, so the psalmist is writing, Psalm 6, 6 through 9. I am weary with my groaning. All the night I make my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxeth old because of all mine enemies. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. I think the word picture that um, his, his bed is swimming in his tears um, and the couch swimming in his tears. Um, 
this is not something to be tried to, I guess, shunned as uh, as something that should be, I guess, hidden. Uh, David, in Second Samuel 15, uh, 29 through 31, Zadok, therefore, and Abiathar carried the ark of God again to Jerusalem, and they tarried there. And David went up by the ascent of Mount Olivet and wept as he went up and had his head covered. And he went barefoot, and all the people that was with him covered every man his head, and they went up, weeping as they went up. And one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. I think that picture of not just David on his couch weeping, but David and all these other people weeping. Um, And then in what we were reading um, in John 11, Mary and Martha were weeping. Uh, the, The Jews, the Jewish leaders were weeping. And Jesus wept. I think it's, it's not necessarily always by yourself. Just in studying this, there's, pro- there's probably a little bit over 200 times it's just talking about weeping or crying, different examples. So we have Jeremiah, obviously, the weeping prophet, as he's sometimes called, Lamentations, just many times. Um, Hannah uh, cried a few times. Uh, Mordecai, he wept for Israel. Jacob wept for Rachel. Um, Probably tears of joy. Um, Hagar uh, wept for the potential death of Ishmael. Uh, Esau cried for his blessing. He wept because he was trying to uh, retrieve his blessing that he had lost. Uh, Esau and Jacob Together, they wept when they were reunited. Uh, Joseph wept three different times for his brothers. Joseph then wept when he saw Abraham again. <clears throat> uh, the Egyptians, they, they wept and cried out for their firstborn after the firstborn uh, on the tenth plague. Um, Israel, uh, not, not necessarily good, but they, they cried out for meat. Uh, they wept for that, so they wanted the meat. They wanted to go. They wept when they wanted to go back to Egypt. Uh, there were other times, and then Israel wept for their sin in Judges. So, and it it says collectively. I mean, it's not just one person. It's not just the king. Not just the judge. Uh, Samson's wife. She wept seven days to learn, try to learn the riddle from Samson. Uh, Ruth and Naomi, they wept. Saul wept for David. Israel uh, wept for Saul's, all of Israel wept for when Saul had died, Saul and Jonathan, and Abner's death separately. Uh, David, he wept for his son's death, and then for his other son, Absalom's death. Elisha wept for Hazael. Joash wept for Elisha's death. Hezekiah wept um, out of, uh, I guess, desperation for, for Israel. Uh, 
the priests and Levites, they wept for the temple when it was being restored. Uh, Nehemiah wept um, because the temple had been uh, uh, destructed. Israel, again, they wept when they heard the law in multiple instances. Job's friends, they wept for his calamity. Peter wept when he remembered Jesus' prophecy about the rooster crowing. Uh, The disciples, they all wept for Jesus' death. Um, Mary wept for Jesus' death. The Ephesians wept for Paul leaving. And John wept um, in Revelation, wept when he realized no one was worthy to unwrap the book. Scroll. So it's all throughout Scripture. So it shouldn't be viewed as something that's um, that's an anomaly, I guess. And I think it's amazing that God um, showed Himself um, in a few different instances with Jesus weeping. And then there's a compassion that's displayed through it, especially in this instance in, in John 11. So there's a, there's a calamity potential, a commonality of mourning, and then a compassion that's displayed or visible. So it was obvious to the Jews, the Jewish leaders, that, that he loved Lazarus. Um, as a result of him weeping. And so much so that at least combined with that and him raising Lazarus from the dead, in verse, uh, is it 45 or 46, some, some of the people, these are the people, many of them, that were plotting to kill him, uh, they, they changed their mind. Then many of the Jews, which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. Again, the Jews being the Jewish leaders that we're, we're talking about. So, I think that was what was striking to me in reading through it, was that Jesus didn't just have the compassion to weep for Lazarus. He had the fortitude to go into the den of the people that were plotting his death. Um, and, and those pe- very people were also weeping for, for Lazarus. And then, and, then, and then weeping and doing this amazing uh, miracle in raising Lazarus from the dead in order that who knows how many people, it might have been only a few, but some of the pe- Jewish leaders that are here actually turned and followed him. Some did not, though. And another thing that's amazing with this is there's an undeniable resurrection. So we started with the unadvisable risk. The disciples told him, don't go there. You're going to be... They've already tried to stone you twice. Um, you're, you're going into a risk that you shouldn't be taking. Um, 
but it comes out with this undeniable resurrection. That so with Thomas, I think this this is unique when you read it with uh, with Thomas specifically. Sometimes when you read, or at least for me, I read things, and if something seems not out of place, but just seems I don't I don't understand why it's there. Um, uh, the description just specifically talking about Thomas, then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us go also that we might die with him. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had uh, lain in the grave four days already. So it's sort of interjected. In, it seems like it. But when you follow it up uh, later, um, in John 20, 26 through 29. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. I think this seems like a foreshadowing for Thomas that Jesus specifically, for some reason, it's, it, it uses, um, it talks about Thomas and it specifically, we know that Thomas was there for Lazarus's resurrection, and we know that Thomas was there because he put his um, hands, or I guess he he was told he could um, into Jesus, and he and he believed, and I think he's the first person that called Jesus God. So, my Lord and my God. The disciples had called him Lord many times before, obviously, but um, Thomas had this unique um, perspective, being able to see, witness um, everything with Lazarus. Not necessarily, I, the, the description that it talks about with him, I don't think he fully understands what Jesus is doing. I the rest of the disciples didn't either. They thought that Lazarus was asleep. Um, so then Jesus had to be more clear that, oh no, Lazarus is dead. Uh, but that he would raise him. So we have Thomas, and then we also have a unique testimonial as a result of this. As a result of this specific, um, the way that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Um, the eyes of the blind, I think something that's unique or interesting is the eyes of the blind, the, the Jewish leaders, then, then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? So, seems like in their mind it's harder to to um, heal someone who's blind than it is to keep someone from some from 
dying, which I, it seems opposite nowadays, um, but this is the perspective back then. So that makes it so much more clear when Jesus was healing um, a blind man, how amazing that was. Um, one of my, when I was in college, there was a New Testament scholar who, who he said that it was more likely that Jesus, uh, Jesus' body was taken by a pack of rabid dogs than, the, than that the resurrection happened and it happened the way that the Gospels talked about it, which doesn't make sense. There's no evidence for that. That doesn't... Um, but I think that this resurrection gives more detail, and there were more witnesses to see the very specific details. Um, so combined with Jesus' resurrection, it gives, it gives us a fuller picture of how Jesus actually can resurrect the dead and that there's less um, ways for us to s try to skirt around it and say that um, it didn't happen. Uh, he was in the tomb for four days. They didn't even want to open the tomb because it was um, because his body had been decomposing by that point. Uh, and Jesus, I think specifically, it says he just waited another two days <laughs> in the same place where he was. He abode two days, still in the same place where he was. I think he waited an extra two days so that he so that he uh, he could demonstrate the f full breadth of what his resurrection can be. The, there were so many witnesses. So Jesus, compared with Jesus, is no one specifically saw the, the stone rolled away. Um, they only saw the effects of it. Um, there were a bunch of Jewish leaders that came and followed. Um, and then Mary and Martha and Jesus, obviously, and, and the disciples. So there were a lot more people that witnessed sort of the the yeah, the unveiling of, of Lazarus. And then the grave clothes were still on him. I think that's unique. Um, and it uh, ver versus Jesus, where the grave clothes are just on, um, on the or in the tomb, uh, they actually had to unwrap Lazarus. So all of that, I think, just gives us more clarity that Jesus can resurrect the dead. Jesus can. We understand that he did and that he rose from the dead. But it does give us a lot of clarity that, that it did happen the way that it says. So we have the unadvisable risk, the undeniable resurrection, and then the undeserved reward. The, we have new life. Lazarus didn't deserve to be resurrected. He didn't deserve special treatment, and neither do we. None of, all of us are sinners. All of us deserve the death that we, um, that we will get, and we deserve eternal punishment for, for sinning against God and our fellow humans. But, but yet Jesus did it anyway. And, and that new life um, 
he demonstrates that he there's no limits to his love. Um, in Romans 8, 37 through 39, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as we celebrate also um, Christmas, Jesus just coming to this earth is another example of the depths that he will go um, to in order to demonstrate his love for us. Um, and then he, the risk that he really went through, uh, that it was, it was obvious that they were plotting to kill him, but he did that just to, just to save, um, not just Lazarus, but to save uh, some of the Jewish leaders uh, that were trying to kill him. And that should... I think that that should give us um, compulsion to try to do the same, to go into places that are not comfortable to, in order to share about, about Jesus. And then, and then it's also not limited to salvation from hell. So, so we've been saved from from hell, which is very important, obviously. This is, it's a very, it's a pivotal part of the gospel. But John 11, as a whole, as an entirety, demonstrates Jesus' um, manhood, uh, that he was fully human, and he wept, and he did things that really only a human would do. And then, but then he did things that only God can do by raising Lazarus from the dead. And he did that not just from afar. He did that in a, in a place where people wanted to kill him. They wanted him to be killed. Um, obviously, Mary and Martha didn't. But it does, when you, when you go through it, they, they were being sort of secretive with each other to try to make sure, um, but yet the Jewish leaders followed them, or followed them uh, very out, um, and then they, so they got to witness Lazarus rising from the dead. Who knows why, um, for what reason. There was some compassion that they had to be weeping there, but yet... But yet, some of them actually actually believed as a result. So, our compassion should be just like theirs, uh, just like Jesus is. Our compassion should be um, without limits. We shouldn't be just staying in our our area. We shouldn't just be um, talking to people that are comfortable, that where it's easy. Obviously, our the mission of our church isn't necessarily always uh, simple or easy, but even beyond this, to the rest of the world, there's lots of people that don't know Jesus. 
and and Jesus went into a very risky and uh, difficult situation that was not advised by anybody. And he he did he both showed compassion and showed uh, his immense power uh, to raise Lazarus. So in the one of the one of the songs that we that we sang the last one I must tell Jesus it says I must tell Jesus all of my trials I cannot bear these burdens alone in my distress he kindly will help me he ever loves and cares for his own I must tell Jesus I must tell Jesus I cannot bear my burdens alone I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. Tempted and tried, I need a great Savior, one who can help my burdens to bear. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, he all my cares and sorrows will will share. So no matter where you're at, whether you're weeping inside right now, or you have been, or you will in the future, um, we will enter into difficult situations where we will be mourning or we'll, well, we, where we will want to weep. And, and really, we can only go to... Um, we can only really 100% trust in Jesus. 